Welcome to the Leadership Prescription Podcast, where leaders come to get their Friday medicine. Your host is the number one business strategist, leadership authority, entrepreneur, author, and keynote speaker, Dana Michelle Woods. If you are ready for the leader's talk, then without further ado, here is Dana Michelle Woods. of DMWI Consulting and welcome to the Leadership Prescription Podcast and I am excited today because we are celebrating women in history and I have a wonderful guest. We have been chit-chatting behind the scenes and so I want you to give a warm welcome. Here's my little clap, 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 clap. Give a warm welcome to Kathleen. And Kathleen, please tell us about yourself, who you are, and let's just chime right on in. Well, hello, and thank you very much for inviting me. I'm honored and happy International Women's Day to you and to all of the women and men um, who are listening in uh, or watching today. Um, I am the CEO of PMIC Incorporated, which is a woman-owned small business dedicated to public sector strategic communications. And uh, what we do is work with federal agencies who have been told act like a business, act like a business, but nobody tells them what kind of business to act like, what kind of uh, protocols, processes, core competencies should be done. And I've been fortunate to, uh, to have had the opportunity to work with some of the world's uh, most brilliant subject matter experts uh, in US government labs. Um, I started the business, uh, to, I'll just tell you how I started, because it is International Women's Day, and I want to give a shout out to my mom, because my mom came, Annie Bridget Philomena, came over here in 1959 by herself on a boat from Ireland, because she wanted to find a new life for herself, and she reared five children, and um, I was going to visit her in New Jersey, and I was on the phone for two hours with the general counsel of a Fortune 500 company, Something was amiss. I spoke with him at the end of the conversation. He took a lot of notes and thanked me very much. And I went upstairs to tell my mother, all excited, mom, mom, I just told the general counsel of a Fortune 500 company what to do. And he thanked me and took notes. And she just looked at me and said, really? How much did he pay you? And I said, um, and she said, now you tell him Thanks, don't pay your mortgage. I'm sick and tired of all these big shots calling you up, asking your advice, and thanking you very much. And so um, thank you, Mom, for being my boss and my muse and the founder of PMIC. Awesome, awesome, awesome. You know, our theme for the whole month of March is, you know, women CEOs beating the odds. Can you share a story where you actually beat the odds? Yes. The... Uh, the very first project that I, we got as PMIC was something completely different from what I expected, of course, now for something completely different. Uh, I thought I had a provisional patent on legal procurement IT, and I was going to revolutionize the legal industry. I happened to meet the then chief scientist of Army Research Lab who told me about what was a very obvious um, problem, I thought, but it was the bane of his existence, which was an OMB 1212 travel restriction memo that was enacted after a GSIA uh, employee got caught uh, doing what he shouldn't have done in a hot tub in Vegas, and it was all over the news. And I said, you're kidding. I can solve that. And he said, you can. And I said, sure. And he invited me into a working group, 
And having read the GAO report about it, I looked at the, uh, at the issue and I thought I would be proving that my nose is on my face. Of course, our scientists need to travel to invent and to collaborate. Um, when I did the study, the data so alarmed me that I spent eight months after I submitted the study working on a grassroots campaign, hashtag let our scientists go. And in October of 2016, OMB memo 1212 was overturned using PMIC study. And uh, that's the first time in my career I cried over a work win because I know that that made a difference and kept PhDs in government labs. And that is vitally important to our national security now more than ever. And, um, and so beating the odds was, it's one thing to write the study. It's another thing to have the tenacity and persistence uh, to stick with it and to speak at National Academy of Sciences on Capitol Hill, at Air Force, at Army, in front of a whole group of PhDs and tell them, guess what? The people who can solve your problem aren't gonna care how many PhDs came out of this program or Nobel laureates came out of your program, but they're gonna care about things that impact their constituents. And getting the study published in the Washington Post in a story that said the De Secretary of Defense wants his scientists to travel, but they're grounded by bureaucracy. That and the work of professional societies was a collaborative effort, but the odds are high against um, getting a, a red tape, what I call red tape straitjackets, cutting through those red tape straitjackets to free our um, public servants, um, particularly our, our scientists and the hard sciences who we desperately need in our government labs. So that was, that was a very big hurdle to overcome and we did it. Now Kathleen, during that process, was there ever a time that you had self-doubt about yourself? Was there any intimidation, any insecurity? Yes, you landed it, but was there a moment where you thought, mm, I don't know? The moments that I had insecurity was during the conducting of the study, because my career had been spent um, advising, being a strategist for literally the world's biggest firms, PricewaterhouseCoopers, Deloitte, um, Big Law. Um, doing the study and interacting with um, PhDs who are subject matter experts in things that I can't even pronounce, much less do, but I know that we need them for our national defense. Um, it was intimidating at first when I was um, talking with some of them because uh, they think in their way. And so I was getting math problems, like why don't, why don't you just try this Kathleen? And it was, it was a math problem. And it wasn't until I did it my way, if you will. I mean, the study had integrity, but it had to be done in the way that I knew from my background and my experience. So having comfort with my gut and with what I knew was replicable helped me overcome that insecurity. And it was only until after the study was completed that I uh, started referring to the PhD by his first name, and I'll give him a shout out. It's Dr. Joseph Mate who uh, set me on this path of being an unwitting government contractor and uh, an advocate for U.S. government um, science and technology. Now, we were talking before we um, started today, and you said there's a difference between a CEO and a leader. Tell our audience what you mean by that. 
Well, um, I think that's there's a two-part question. One is there's a difference between being a CEO of an established entity where they're doing a big search and they bring in some of the big search firms and go poaching CEOs from other companies and you walk into a stat, an establishment that's already um, stood up and you've got a full staff and a team and, and um, an operation behind you and being a, an entrepreneur, uh, deciding to form your own. So um, that's a very big difference. Um, I think for the CEO jobs, you need the same skills, you need flexibility, you need um, tenacity, you need leadership uh, um, uh, qualities, so that, and you need business acumen. But to be a leader, you need followers. And it's different, if, if, if I'm a CEO and people are just listening to me because I'm the boss, then I'm a boss, I'm not a leader. But if I'm the CEO and I am inspiring you to, to work harder or to work differently or to go for something that you might not have gone for or to stretch or to take a little risk and, and, and you do it, then I'm, I'm a leader. If you're coming to me with your genuine issues instead of trying to figure it out on yourself, then I'm a leader because you trust me and you know that you can come to me and I will help you get over that hurdle or that barrier. So leadership, I think, is something that is bestowed upon us and it is bestowed upon us by those who follow us rather than um, us being able to impose it. I can't tell anybody I'm a leader, but if people choose to follow me, then by default, I'm a leader. Wonderful, wonderful. What would you say to the first time woman that's entering leadership? And what would be some of the advice, what would be some advice you would give her so she could be successful? Um, I think one of the biggest things that uh, faces um, women and, and, and most people starting out of business now that I've come to think of it, there, there's a couple basic things. You're going to make mistakes, accept it, learn it. I made every mistake that I could possibly, uh, you could possibly imagine. And a lot of those mistakes, though, come from self-doubt. Um, and, and I think it's, it, it may be um, because women are, are socialized to be nurturing, socialized to be part of and a support um, to step up and to have that self-confidence to, as my mother says, if your belly is dragging in the ground, hold your head up high. And so it's a great Irish expression that her mother told her. And, and that's something that I think is very important to do is um, people, some people say fake it till you make it. What I say is act as if, because that is something that's a real technique. If you feel nervous, scared, um, not confident, insecure, think to yourself, what would someone who was completely comfortable with herself, what would someone who did not have a fear of public speaking or a fear of interacting or a fear of negotiating a tough deal, how would they act? And then act that way. It's act as if, act as if because Thought follows action. So the way that we behave is what really informs us about ourselves and who we are. So if we act confident, even when we're not, because we're thinking about, well, how does that confident person, whoever your role model might be, how would that person behave? And you do that. Um, that really is an important element. So I would say having confidence and then also being um, uh, assuming good intentions. It's, it's, a, it's a 
it's a big world out there and there's a lot of people who are who don't have good intentions but what i have found is that if i assume good intentions um, through the, the universe has a way of, of putting uh, putting like-minded people together and it becomes easy to uh, discover the few who may not have good intentions but if you come into a situation assuming good intentions and also being willing to accept that you're fallible and that you make mistakes and that you will make mistakes and being willing to apologize for that mistake and also learn from it what did you know what just happened what was my role in it and what will I do to prevent this from happening again how will I change what tweaks can I make so I think it's not being afraid to make mistakes I wasted money didn't think I was wasting money thought it was good a good use of money but I wasted money and I I did many of the mistakes that uh, you can read every book it's like having a kid you know I have, I'm uh, the mother of a son who will be graduating uh, this May and um, and, and you know, I, I, even at my worst, I was always the best mother that I could be. And I take that into my work. Even if I'm having an off day, I am going to do the best job that I can do. And I am being the best professional that I can be at that given moment. Even if that given moment is I'm in the ladies' room crying because somebody just, you know, did something that freaked me out. But so, so understand that, um, and I think especially in Me Too um, era, there's a lot of there's a lot of people who are really concerned. I see men being concerned about mentoring women. And I, and I would say, men, please mentor women. Men are feminists too. Feminists are just people who believe that women and men should, should have equal opportunities. And I don't think that's uh, controversial. I think the word became loaded, but actually there are many, many men who are feminists. And so enlist the help of men. And and don't be afraid to offer some guidance to men to say, yes, we'd like you to mentor women. We are going to show you and, and work with you um, because men can be um, women's greatest allies and advocates. So, you know, I, I think it's important. I'm not an angry woman. I'm not a nasty woman. I'm not putting down the, I mean, I am, I am a feminist. I'm a proud feminist. And I also think that, that uh, it's incumbent upon us to help and that means you know not only helping other women but but helping the men who who um who have been taught and may not realize that they were taught you know certain norms certain business norms how to negotiate um how to ask for money for your time because your time is valuable these are things that i think might sometimes be more difficult for women and um and it's important to intentionally coach other women in these tactics. Now, Catherine, there's one area that I find that women struggle with, and that is with pressure. And the pressure, not just only to succeed, but the pressure to, you know, I want to do an exceptional job, that superwoman kind of syndrome. You know, and they put this, there is pressure that we put on ourselves that is healthy. And then there's that, unnecessary pressure yes that pressure let's help some women some women out there today the the greatest phrase that i ever heard one of the greatest 
came from uh, Nancy Little, who's a, a partner at McGuire Woods, and uh, I was working on a project. And I was getting close to deadline, and I was just having a terrible time. It was, it was not good enough. It was not good enough. And I, I, I uh, being a perfectionist, it was not good enough. And she looked at me and said, you know, Kathleen, you have to learn sometimes adequate is good enough. So I think that learning when you've got to give it your all. Now, that does not mean subpar. doesn't mean less than adequate. But there are certain projects, tasks, things to do that you only have to be adequate. So I think that women can alleviate a lot of the pressure on themselves if they realize that much of that pressure often is self-imposed. Um, if that pressure is coming from unreasonable expectations of leadership, then that's a different issue and that's something that also I think can be worked upon if uh, women take the uh, situation and break it down into its component parts. You know, what's going on here? I feel so much pressure. Why do I feel that pressure? Is it an external pressure? And if so, then perhaps I can alleviate it by, again, assuming good intentions and having a conversation with whoever or you know whatever body it is and say well this is um and this this deadline is is perfectly uh reasonable but not if i'm also expected to deliver um this and this so which of these three things should i postpone so we take ownership and instead of taking it on taking it on taking it on we look at it and say, okay, I'm going to go back to whoever it is who I owe this um, project to or report or what, what have you. And knowing that I'm, I'm putting myself through so much, uh, getting some help in offloading part of the, uh, part of the workload. But I would also say that um, the important thing to do is to treat ourselves the way we would treat a best friend. If a best friend came up to me and said, I'm, I'm, I'm just under so much pressure and I'm struggling so much and I'm, I'm trying to do this and I'm trying to do that, we wouldn't berate that person. We wouldn't, we wouldn't do what often women do to ourselves in, in our own self-talk, which is, you know, you should be better, you should be thinner, you should be um, smarter, you should have gotten this done already. Um, what we would do is say, you know, look, you've already done a great job, you know, take, take, give yourself a little break. And, and those are the things that we can say to ourselves and that we should say to ourselves. We should talk to ourselves. Our self-talk should be the same way we would talk to somebody we really loved and cared about. And, and that encouragement, that, that self-encouragement. And then don't be afraid to reach out. It's important, we can't have too many really um, close friends. I mean, I, I think three to five is, is probably um, the average, but we can have a large network and we trust different people for different things. So I might have a friend who I can call up for one particular issue and, and then have somebody else who I'm going to call. And um, another actually very specific tactic is, um, Actually, a male, Jim Villa, general counsel, suggested this to me when I was just starting the business because I was doing a lot of coaching and not charging for it. And he said, you know, Kathleen, you 
send an invoice and even if you're not charging, send the invoice with what you provided, how much it would cost, even if you exit out and as a professional courtesy, it costs nothing. And that helps you keep track of what you have contributed and what you have done. And it also helps the recipient understand that you've given something of value. Okay. It's not just material, it's not, it's not just monetary value, but this is a business conversation. And women um, often find it difficult to negotiate, to negotiate for the return, you know, and, and, and to, to, to justify why does this cost X? Well, this costs X. If you can show that you're worth more than you charge and the return on investment is greater than your client is spending on you, then you're going to stay in business. But if you're not worth what you charge or if it's a break even deal, you're still not going to stay in business. That's correct. Um, what lesson learned would you tell a new person, um, not really a new person, well, a new person that's looking to make a transition? You know, they said that, you know, Colonel Sanders started his business when he was in his 60s. Right. You know, find a lot of women that are, you know, maybe reached their peak in corporate America or maybe in the government, in the private sector, and they're looking to do something different. Mm -hmm. What lesson learned would you tell someone that, you know, that's looking to make a career change, a new chapter in their life? Um, well, number one, I'd say, um, can you afford it? Know your number. Um, let's face it, this is America, it's a capitalist country. Um, we don't all, you know, I didn't go into business, well, I did go into business to get rich and, and sell my company and start a foundation, but lo and behold, I became an advocate for USS&T. So, um, but the, the, uh, the notion of, if you wanna make a change, can you afford to make that change? Are you taking a risk that is uh, something that you can do? Know your number, know that, I mean, for me, it was my son was a senior in high school and as a single mother my my identity was i was sam's mom who also was a national director at pwc and deloitte and, and at big law um the next thing i would say is be comfortable being uncomfortable get uncomfortable get, get comfortable knowing that you know you're going to be a little bit uncomfortable um and I would also say do your homework, but understand that you'll still be surprised. So if you wanna make a switch, talk to people. Talk to people who are in it. Talk to people who are doing it. Talk to people who have done it. Because if you don't, um, you can read about it, but just as I think you know, anybody who's had any job of any sort would understand, reading about a job and actually being in a place are two totally different things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Well, we're getting close to our, you know, we only talked for 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful conversation. Well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm honored to be asked and happy International Women's Day to awesome. everyone. Awesome. <laughs> so my last question um, to you is, um, what would be a final word for you? If you could think about how you want to be remembered, what would that be? What would that final word be for you? Uh, how I would want to be remembered. Oh, that's a, I didn't expect that one. Um, <laughs> I always felt a little surprised uh, in there. Uh, yeah, I would want to be remembered as Sam's mom 
as Anne's daughter, and as someone who contributed some service back to those who serve our nation. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, I thank you so much for joining us on the Leisure Prescription Podcast. It has been my honor and my privilege. I've never met you before, and I really <laughs> And you were like, okay, you know, I'll take a Well, that's another way. Jump in and do it. Why not? What do I, what do I have to lose? And, uh, and, it, and I'm delighted. Absolutely. So how can people get in touch with you? How can they be able to reach out to your company? Share us, share us your information. Um, the best way, I have a very large, um, and I encourage people to connect with me on LinkedIn. I've been on LinkedIn for quite some time. I've got about 17,000 connections on there. Um, and uh, I'm also on Twitter. My website is um, www.pmicus.com. And just so you know, PMIC stands for put me in coach. And that's something I've done all my career. And that's what I'm keeping, that's what I'm keep on keeping on. Um, Thank you. Well, it's my, my privilege and my honor to have you on here. And I don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you come back. Oh, I'd be delighted. Everything with us. So listen, next week, we don't know who's going to be on our show. So check us out. We're always on LinkedIn as well. And so remember, always treat everyone, no matter what their gender, no matter what their background is, with decency and with an order. And remember, we're always here to serve one another. We're connected. And you never know that person that will have your connection, or maybe you'll be that connection. So I'm Dana Michelle Woods of DMWI Consulting, and you've been listening to the Leadership Podcast, and where leaders come to get their Friday medicine. Until next time, have a good day. Thank you, Kathleen. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs>